Father, we come to you. There's nowhere else. Lord Jesus, you have the words of eternal life. Father, I pray that as we look into this passage of your word, that those words of eternal life would minister to our souls. That we would find ourselves rested, refreshed, ready. Because we have gathered here this morning to hear from you. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Our reading this morning is from the great high priestly prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 17, verses 16 to 24. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, <clears throat> that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory that you have given me I have given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you love me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. There's a, something like a story, except it's in a letter, about this guy named Philemon. Paul wrote the, well, it's not the shortest letter of the New Testament, it's the shortest one Paul wrote to this guy, Philemon. Philemon was like an elder in the church. And he says something really interesting about Philemon in this letter. This is what he says. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you.
the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. It seems that Philemon was one of those people that just being with him was a rest. Refreshing. Do you know any refreshing people? Are you a refreshing person? Do people look forward to just hanging out with you? Because it's going to be, I don't know, relaxing, refreshing. That's the kind of guy Philemon was. So when Paul is telling Philemon, (laughs) Paul is reminding Philemon of this because he's about to ask Philemon to do him a big favor and to be refreshing again with reference to it particular person. Paul says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Here's something I wish, pray, dream about in our fellowship, which I think is realized in part, by the way. I think it is true in part, by the way, about this fellowship, that this fellowship would be refreshing. That by coming here, and I don't just mean on Sunday morning when we have church, but by being with us, people find restoration in Christ. That the hearts of the saints would be refreshed. You know, Philemon, not the only one in the Bible like this, of course. That song we just heard was about the story of of Jesus when people were leaving when Jesus was saying some challenging things and people were saying, oh, well, never mind then. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, how about you? Will you leave as well? And Peter responded with the line that we just heard in that song. Where else will we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have no other well to draw from. We cannot imagine leaving you, Christ, because your words impart actual life to us. Jesus said, 
Come to me. Come to me. Everyone who's weary and weighed down. Come to me. I just want to ask you a question. Are you weary or weighed down? You might be weary or weighed down even today. Maybe somebody said something to you that stressed you out or just offended you. Or maybe your job is, seems harder than you have the energy to perform. Maybe some person who's important to you is undergoing some real difficulty or suffering, or maybe you are. We have a prayer list in the bulletin, and at the top of that prayer list this week, there's three families that we are praying for that we just discovered this week, three families who've lost a loved one. Come to me, everyone who's weary or weighed down, come to me, and I will, not might, not maybe I will, maybe I'll give you a look-see, no, I will give you rest. And we find out, apparently, people who know that rest, because we know the story of Philemon, people who know that rest can give it to other people. The hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. We've been studying in the book of Ephesians at the end of chapter 4, and last time we learned about the path of the righteous. The path of the righteous, and this is from last Sunday, well, two Sundays ago, and by the way, thanks to uh, our guest speaker last week, thank you, Angelo, for sharing with us the real goodness of God in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is what we preach every Sunday. And if I am not preaching to you the goodness of God in Christ, something has gone wrong and you should tell me. But in any case, last time we were talking about the path of the righteous. And this is a part of Scripture that tells you how you ought to behave. But it tells you how you ought to behave only, only from the resource of His love only because he has provided all that is necessary for you to behave in this good way. And so the hope is knowing the goodness of God in Christ, you will become a source of that goodness, not your own, his, a source of that goodness in the lives of other people. So we learned that a, the path of the righteousness is a truthful path. The old man was dishonest and 
hiding. The new man is truthful, open, honest. We learned that the path of the righteousness, the righteous, checks under his own hood before correcting others. Well, you might not remember me saying that, but that's what it means to be angry and not sin. To regard my anger as a warning about me, not you. <laughs> like, I'm, I got to check myself before I worry about fixing you. not quick to seek its own justice. The path of the righteous is a giver, not a taker. Yeah, this is where he says, the old man steals. The old man steals. The new man, put on the new man, and instead of stealing, give up stealing, and instead of stealing, work produce something so that you have something, not so that you have something for yourself, but something you can provide to someone else. Work to be generous. Oh my goodness, this is crazy talk. But that's the new man. That's the refreshing man. That's Christ. Christ showed up to give. He said it like this, to serve, not to be served. The new man, the path of the righteous, is the person who only says what's good for someone to hear. <laughs> I just want you to stop and think for a second about all the stuff you might have said in the last I don't know, 24 hours? All the stuff you might have said, how much of it was really useful to anyone? The righteous thinks before he speaks. The righteous is not a, in a hurry to be self-expressive. He's in a hurry to be helpfully expressive. So he watches what he says, and he only says it if it's good for anybody. These are impossible standards, aren't they? Uh-huh. The last thing we learned about the new man is that the new man walks in the Spirit, and what that means is he's kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving in the same way he's been forgiven he walks in the Spirit, which means he's available to God to be available to others. He's open to the influence in the ministry of God Almighty in order to exhibit kind, tender-hearted forgivingness. Here's what I want you to notice about all that stuff. It's all different ways of saying the same thing. It's all different ways of saying the same thing. How can I become oriented toward taking care of the needs of others? 
How can I become a well instead of a sink? That is the difference between the old man and the new man. The old man is a sink. The new man is a well. The new man, man, you just want to stand near that person. You want to be in the vicinity of that person because that person is good for and to the people that are near him. So we come to chapter 5 in Ephesians. Therefore, (laughs) therefore, considering this old man and new man, this who you are in Christ, who you are apart from Christ, compared to who you are in Christ, be that guy and avoid that guy. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. How are you the new man? You imitate God. As we heard from Jesus, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How is his yoke easy and his burden light? Well, because he does all the carrying of it. And you get to go along with him in ministry, in refreshing ministry to the souls of others. So that when people hang out with you, it's like, oh, wow, that was fantastic. Be imitators of God. Now, how do you imitate someone you can't see? How do you imitate someone you can't see? Well, how do we see God? Well, the Scripture says, John chapter 1, verse 18, no one has seen God at any time. Except his beloved son, his one and only, his eternal son made flesh, he has made him known. How do we see God in Christ? This is in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We see the glory of God. Where? In the face of Of Jesus Christ. That's where. How does that happen? Well, right there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says we normal, everyday people, what we usually are, where the way we're conditioned, we're born into is a condition of blindness, which can't see that. How do we see that? It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Well, the end of chapter 3 too. You should read it. 
2 Corinthians chapter 3 and 4, where it says, the Spirit of Christ heals our blindness so that we see the glory of God in the face of Christ. No one's seen God in any time except the people who have seen Jesus. You know, at the, in the upper room, the beginning of the conversation that the prayer we just read came from, one of the disciples, I think it's Philip, he says to Jesus, well, just show us the Father. That'll be good. That's all we need. You remember what Jesus said, right? What Jesus said was, if you've seen me, you've seen him. What? Well, he's, it's not, he doesn't say it quite so nicely. He says, what are you talking about, Philip? That's more like how he said it. What are you talking about? What do you think I've been doing? How long? That's literally the expression he used. How long before you get it, Philip? If you've seen me, you've seen him. How do we imitate God? Well, we imitate Christ. That's it. We are the people who follow the pattern of life found in Jesus. That's the new man life. That's the path of the righteous. That's the truthful, not sinfully angry, giver, not a taker, someone who speaks only what's edifying, walking in the Spirit, in kindness, tenderheartedness, forgiving. That means that person, when you do them wrong, they don't hold it against you. Well, that's how Jesus is, right? So we imitate God. And we imitate God that we see in Christ. How do we see Christ? By the ministry of the Spirit. The whole fellowship of the triune God is involved in your walking in the new man. Imitate God. We're the people who follow the pattern of life found in Jesus, the eternal Son made human, made available to us as one of us. So imitatable. So we ask this question, what would Jesus do? What's your situation? Well, what would Jesus do? I think it's better to ask the question, what did Jesus do? And then ask, how can you do that? Because that's not so bound up in your situation. But anyway, whatever. If I ask the question, what would Jesus do? I have a couple of problems. One is, I can't tell. I don't know what Jesus would do if he was in my situation. Now, sometimes it's obvious. Like, Jesus would not lie his way out of a troublesome problem. Okay, that's, that's kind of obvious. But some of the things where I got to make a decision about how to behave as the new man, not so obvious. And my problem is I can't tell what Jesus would do. This is kind of like trying to play golf by walking up to a golf ball and asking yourself, what would Tiger Woods do? I, well, 
I mean, I could analyze Tiger Woods' swing, but I wouldn't know what I was doing. And even if I figured out what he does, we could not make this do that. I'm not the Son of God made flesh. So my second problem with what would Jesus do is, even if I figure out what Jesus would do, I'm going to have a hard time pulling it off. But still, but still, but still, be imitators of God. Do like Jesus. That's hard. But here's what I want you to know. It's not simply behavioral. In other words, it's not just your behavior. To do what Jesus would do involves who you are, not just how you act. It's what sort of person you are. On the inside, this is why the book of Ephesians, right smack in the middle, Paul prays, oh Lord, if only, if only, if only this Holy Spirit of God would work in these people, would somehow give them the strength to trust Christ. That's the heart change we are talking about. The change from trusting self to trusting Christ. And trusting Christ begins to know the love of Christ. That's chapter 3. So what did Jesus do? And how was he the sort of man that could and would do that? How was Jesus able to do the good things he did? How did he live in a way where he could legitimately claim anyone who comes to me, weary and heavy laden, I will rest his soul? Oh, here's an idea. Just go to Christ and let him worry about everything else. He doesn't say, I will teach him how to rest his soul. He says, I will give him rest. He can figure this out. He has figured this out. Just show up in front of Christ. So, but now, imitate God. Imitate God. How do you imitate God? You imitate Christ. How, how, what did he do and how did he do it? Just a few things. First of all, he was the eternal son of God. Oh. The eternal son of God made flesh. 
also, he lived in perfect fellowship with God the Father at all times. <laughs> there was an open dialogue between the man Jesus and the eternal Father all the time. This is why sometimes you might hear me say something like, prayer is all there is to the Christian life. God, the Lord Jesus, has purchased for you the opportunity to have that. Anyway, that's what he had. And because he had that, the Scripture says he was filled with the Spirit. In John chapter 3, we read this, that the Son does what the Father's doing because the Father gives the Spirit without measure. Nobody has been in more full possession of the Spirit, the ministering communion with the Father, the person of the Holy Spirit, than the Lord Jesus himself. As a man, that is his experience. He was filled with the Spirit. 100% of the time, he's in perfect fellowship with God 100% of the time. He totally trusted himself to the Father. Totally. How do you know that? Well, he went to the cross. He didn't just pray, not thy will but mine, be done. Thy will was done. Because Jesus trusted himself, because of the promise of the resurrection, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. There's no greater demonstration of trust than that. My life is in your hands. He perfectly experienced the love of the Father at all times. So here's the thing about Jesus. Jesus perfectly expressed the righteousness and the love of God, the Father, in relation to everyone he met. So just do that. <laughs> he perfectly expressed the righteousness and love of the Father in relation to everyone he met, especially in freely giving his own life as a sacrifice for sin to bring us to God. So just do that. Simple, right? Just express the righteousness and the love of God in relation to everyone you meet especially in living sacrificially for, their, for the sake of their fellowship with God. Just do that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Imitate God. Does Paul know what he's asking? I'm not the eternal son made flesh. Well, Paul gives us a big, fat clue when he says, be imitators of God as beloved children. 
The first thing we said about Jesus is he's the son of God, the beloved son of God. How might I imitate God only, only as a beloved child? I'm called to imitate God, not replace him. I'm called to be the image bearer of God, not God. And not just children, beloved children. Do you understand the magnitude of God's love for you, his child? No, you do not. That is why Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 3 that you would be so moved, strengthened by the Spirit that you would trust in Christ and so you would come to know his love, which is beyond understanding. So however much you know of it, you don't know of it yet. There's more. There's more. And it's as a beloved child that you imitate God. God has reconciled us to himself and to each other, of course, by the cross, the work of Christ. We are born again into the family of God So we address God as Abba. Not your royal highness. Not your majesty. Though those are certainly fitting. But Abba. Father. Father. And God is better than any father you have uh, ever known other than him. Because he is a perfect father. He is always perfectly providing for his children. Always his love for them is perfect. Perfect in its wisdom, in its judgment, in its provision. He has given you what you need. And more. God has reconciled us to himself in Christ, and so we come before him as beloved children. And that is the only place from which you might imitate him. The Spirit works in us so that Christ dwells in us through faith, so that we begin to comprehend and experience his love. We grow together, we've learned in the book of Ephesians God didn't just reconcile us to himself, each one. He reconciled us into one. And so the prayer of Jesus, Jesus did the work of his prayer that we would be one on the cross. And so we don't read his prayer as a commandment. We read it as a promise, as a something delivered by the work of the cross, which we read in Ephesians, when God reconciled us into one body and as one body reconciled us to himself in Christ by the work of his cross. This is deep and mysterious and unbelievably good. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, and that's not just a metaphor. It's a reality. 
We are one in him as he and the Father are one. We are called into oneness together to join in the eternal song of the triune God. (laughs) You cannot imagine how good this is. And we grow together as beloved children. And so we imitate him as beloved children. We understand and trust in Christ. And so God's love is realized in us. You feel like God's love is realized in you? I just want you to notice this isn't always a feeling. It's good to feel it, but it's true even when you don't. Even if you feel alone, you are not. You are one of us if you are in Christ. And you are one with us and one with God in Him if you are in Christ. If you have put your faith in Christ, if you have, like the Apostle Peter, have said, I got nowhere else to go, you're the Savior. I'm sticking with you. I'm trusting myself to you. I understand and trust Christ. And if that is the case, then God's love has been realized in me. This great love with which he loved us has raised us together with Christ and has seated us already in the heavenly places in him. Has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in him. Not might one day, has already. And so I have the love of God in Christ by the Spirit realized in my soul. And so I begin to express that in my life, and that is how I imitate God. I begin to know his love and so share his love. I begin to express his righteousness because to express his righteousness is to do good. And by the way, his righteousness is summarized in the law of God as love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Love. It's all about how you deal in relation to others. I become a living sacrifice, which means I am available to God to be available to you. I become the sort of person Jesus was, is. I become the sort of person who takes care of the people around me. I become kind of like Philemon, and the souls of the saints will be refreshed through me. But if I try to pull this off, like me, the golfer, asking what Tiger Woods would do, well, that's not going to go far. I'll have some good days and some bad days. Every, even a horrible golfer like me hits one down the fairway every now and then. But that's not what I really want. 
I want my soul to be so refreshed in Christ that I become a well and not a sink. I become the spring where you can catch a drink. I become the person who exhibits the love of Christ to the people around me. God is a unity of persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. The triune God is an eternal fellowship. God has never been alone. He's the only God, and there's only one God, but that one God exists as an eternal fellowship of three persons. I don't understand that either. And I've studied a lot about it. It is a deep mystery. It is hard to figure. And yet it's true. God is a unity of persons. And so when Jesus prays, he prays that we would be one like they are. I just want you to think about the prize, the great blessing prize that is available to you in the body of Jesus Christ, the church. I know. Sometimes I show up at church and people are, you know, like they are. And then when I stop and think about that, I think, oh, sometimes that's me. No. <laughs> yeah, sometimes that's me. But what God is working in the church is this oneness that we read about in the prayer. This refreshing opportunity that we read about in the life of Philemon. This Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Rest for your souls. That is our opportunity in the fellowship of the church. As the beloved children of God, knowing and sharing the love of God, first of all, among ourselves. Jesus said, this is how everyone will know you're my disciples, if you love one another. And, you know, if we go to church and we find this refreshment, we find this rest, we find this love, guess how, will we, guess how we will be at work where the other people don't know this? Oh, my goodness. People you work with don't know this. People you know, people in your family don't know this amazing gift. But you do. And so we are bearers of God's image into the world. We are called to be a unity of persons. The prayer Jesus prayed, the closing prayer of his life, was that we would be one like he is with the Father. And that as this unity of persons, we would be 
imitators of God as beloved children in our fellowship and in the world. Lord Jesus, let it be so. Let it be so. Father, we give you thanks. Lord, as we come to the table this morning, the table of thanksgiving, Father, we ask that we would be transformed by the love of Christ, by trusting in this great gift, receiving it, not making any contribution of our own to it, just to receive it, to know it. Lord, that we would be changed in our communion with you to be imitators of God, lights in this world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.